Job 9:11 through 14. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath him. How then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? Hello? I'd like to thank Dylan for reading that passage for us. Um, in his version, it says, uh, I think it was the helpers of the proud. Um, my, my version says uh, the helpers of Rahab. So I've been reading a lot of passages out of Job, especially when I, I did the Wednesday invitation and uh, I think it was last um, couple Sundays ago, the evening. Um, I try and present everything at the best of my ability, what I feel truthfully, I'll look as many scriptures as I can. I'll even do my best to break down using a Greek and Hebrew lexicon, compare it to other scriptures, make sure it's consistent, that kind of thing. I came across this term, helpers of Rahab, uh, in Job chapter 9, verses 11 through 14, and I noticed there were some cross-references to it. Um, so... Um, Again, it says, were he to pass by me, I would not see him. Were he to move past me, I would not perceive him. Were he to snatch me away, who could restrain him? Who could say to him, what are you doing? God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him crouched the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him and choose my words before him? Um, so I, I was like, man, Rahab, the only Rahab I know in the Bible was a woman that helps two spies. Um, and I guess the big thing is, we're not really looking at the helpers, but what does actually Rahab mean? Now, Dylan kind of hinted on it. It does mean proud. Um, but first, I'd like to kind of make it very clear. Sorry it says rehab. I kept spelling rehab instead of Rahab a lot. So, yeah, just kind of, I tried to go back and correct me as I could. Um, first thing I want to make sure was, like, is this the same person? Like, Rahab, the same person like we read in Joshua? And actually... Uh, the word uh, Rahab, the lady that helps the two spies, actually that's not really how you pronounce her name. That's not her real name according to the Hebrew lexicon. Her real name is Rechab. So when you actually say Rahab, you're actually not even saying her actual name. Uh, so if we really wanted to tell the story correctly, it would be Rechab and the two spies. So when we see this Hebrew word Rahab in Job 9, it is not a word we are familiar with. Now the Hebrew lexicon classifies the word Rahab into two categories, uh, H7293, and when it, it gave me the definitions, it means proud, strength, boaster, sea monster, and the, and there was quotes in it, I didn't put the quotes in it, but the storm, and then the other is uh, Egypt, uh, boaster and proud. And what you'll see throughout the presentation is I made sure to go ahead and every time I, I'm giving a passage that has the word Rahab in it, I have the, the coded like definition, and I even sometimes put the actual definition in it. Um, <clears throat> and kind of take notice, the one that Dylan read in our scripture reading, that is H7293, Proud Strength Boaster, Sea Monster, and The Storm. So um, I did look at some cross-references to try and figure out, okay, 
helpers of the Rahab, who is, is this a specific person? I pulled this from commentaries, and actually at first I just went to Google and typed up like helpers of Rahab, and it was really funny because honestly on these discussion forums a lot of people seem to be just as lost. Like, I think it's the devil, I think it's this. Um, so I, I went ahead and also looked at about eight commentaries over this verse. I'm gonna just only show two. Um, that I felt were like very good contrasting and kind of helped figure it out. So first is it means proud helpers, kind of like what Dylan read, literally helpers of Rahab, but kind of pay attention to where he goes to in this. Um, but whether Rahab was Egypt or political name for the lost archangel, um, in other words, Satan, it is impossible to say if the former, then there is probable allusion here to the overthrow of Pharaoh and his host, but we lack evidence to make it plain. The phrase is evidently used as expressing the very ideal of strength, the race of giants. Um, here's Gill's commentary. Oh, uh, so Ellicott believes it somehow connects to a lost archangel, in other words, the devil, and he also believes it could mean a race of giants as mentioned in Genesis, the time of Noah. Uh, here's Gill's commentary. Um, sorry if it's so small, but I did want to, he really examines it. The proud helpers do stoop under him, the helpers of pride, the helpers of proud men, proud, wicked, and ungodly men who combine together and help one another against God, his people, cause and interest, men of power, rule, and government, as Aben Ezra explains it, civil magistrates, men in authority, who, instead of being terrors to evil, uh, instead of being terrors to evildoers, encourages them and helps them forward in their wickedness. But though both those that help and those that are helped may continue for a while and be supported, yet they shall soon or later fall under the mighty hand of God, his power and wrath, and be crushed by it. Some regard may be to be either to the giants, the men of the old world who filled the earth with violence and were swept away with the flood, Genesis chapter 6, verse 13, or rather... Rahab could be referring to the builders of Babel who helped one another to build a tower to make them a name and secure themselves in opposition to God, but he, being angry with them, made them desist, and they bowed under him. And that's, in, again, the Tower of Babel is in Genesis 11.4. Um, he continues, Some render it the helpers of Rahab, that is, of Egypt. And this is where I kind of start to... after. I, and again, I, I looked at the Bible passages before I read the commentaries, and I actually kind of came to this conclusion on my own. I like to do more of, I think it's an inductive study, where you look at the evidence first, then you come up with your conclusion versus looking at a conclusion and searching for the evidence that proves it. Um, so he says, some render it the helpers of Rahab, that is, of Egypt, Rahab being a name of Egypt. Uh, we'll actually get to Psalm 87.4 in here in a second. The devils are meant whose sin was pride by which they fell and which they have endeavored to promote the cherish among men. So now it kind of goes into also how it could also be the devils. Uh, where they reserved in chains of darkness to the great judgment, Jude chapter 1 verse 6, and are obliged whether they will or not to stoop to the Lord and even to the Son of God in human nature, which their proud stomachs cannot well bear, but are forced to it. The anger of God lying upon them and his wrath, which will never be withdrawn from them. So... Uh, based off what I've kind of researched and looked at, here's, the, here's basically the big four. There's possibly five, but we're just going to really look at four of what Rahab means. So, like I said, it's the giants of men in Genesis. It's the builders of Babel in Genesis. It could be the devil. So, therefore, the helpers of Rahab are the angels that fell, mentioned in Jude. 
And then it could also be just simply the proud nation of Egypt, and it could also just be a proud people, like a general title of proud people. Now first, I must make note that I am of the opinion, uh, let's take a look at the giants of men first. Um, I'm of the opinion the giants of men were not a race of mythical creatures like 80 foot tall. The Hebrew lexicon translates giants as Niflim. I'll see if I can get this, yeah. Uh, the giants as Niflim, Niffle. So Niflim comes from the word Niffle, and that comes from the word Nephili, and Nephili comes from the word bully or tyrant. Uh, this means giants of men is really just a reference to, and again, this is my opinion, there could be more studied to it, that the giants of men are simply tyrants and rulers who did whatever they wanted. Now, I'm sure these tyrannical rulers were a proud race by following their own ways and not God, which is why Eliakot's commentary and others believe Rahab and Job to be in reference to these giants of men. However, I couldn't see any connection because the word Rahab never comes up. So I get that they're proud and everything, and, and you know that's a title we could assign to them. Maybe Job's talking about them because th these are the proud men, but I couldn't really make too much of a connection there. Um, next, maybe uh, the Tower of Babel, maybe Rahab is in reference to those who built the Tower of Babel. The Hebrew word Rahab is never used to describe the people. However, because the people who build Babel do become proud to a position of where they believe they no longer need God, and Rahab means boaster or proud. Uh, maybe this is also why some may make the connection. Um, but what about Rahab meaning the devil? Um, thus the helpers of Rahab are fallen angels who may have assisted Satan as mentioned in Jude chapter one verse uh, six. I just gave five through seven. And it says, now I desire to remind you that though you know all things once and for all, that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who do not keep their own dominion, but abandon their proper abode, he hath kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the uh, judgment of the great day. So I did think it was interesting. Um, I was like, okay, so it either means like devils, demons. Now I'm kind of, it's either that for me or now it's Egypt. And then I came to this verse and I realized in this verse, he talks about Egypt, a proud people. He talks about the angels, a proud people. And then he also talks about the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah and their demise. So I just thought it was interesting that um, they're in the same uh, Bible verse when it's talking about God, like bringing low the proud. Um, A big reason some may believe that Rahab is the serpent or devil is in the Bible verse Isaiah 51, 9. Uh, it says, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as, a, as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Um, so people are like, oh, he's talking about the dragon like in Revelation. So Rahab, oh, it's, it's the devil. Um, I mean, possibly. We do know that in Old Testament, uh, like for instance in the Psalms, David would be talking about an event, and I don't whether he knew it or not, it was also being used later as a prophecy. So maybe this is, maybe there could be some connection, but if we read the whole context of the verse, so now I have the verses before that passage and after it, we see in looking at more of the context, this really isn't, again, this is my opinion, my opinion, uh, this isn't talking about the devil. Um, 
It's, uh, if you read it, it says, Isaiah is telling the Jewish people how they will be captive, but then they will be redeemed and returned to Zion after their period of captivity. Isaiah then uses the example of Israelites crossing the Red Sea to illustrate what it will be like to return to Jerusalem. Therefore, Rahab is not in reference to the devil, but the Egyptians as Israel crossed the Red Sea. So if you take a look, it says, for the moth will eat, and this is Isaiah 51, chapter, uh, verses eight through 11, for the moth will eat them like a garment and the grub will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. Awake, awake, put on the strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut up Rahab in pieces who pierced the dragon? So yeah, stop right there. It's like, okay, he's talking about, He's talking about defeating the proud devil, but then notice, keep reading. Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransom of the Lord will return and come for joyful shouting to Zion, and everlasting joy will be on their heads. They will obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So, uh, and I got the, uh, this one's H7294 Egypt. Uh, so this is a specific, this Greek lexicon is specifically like really used, uh, this Rahab is really used to describe Egypt. And then if you actually look at the context of the verse, it's talking about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And so really, who, who was it that got destroyed at the Red Sea? Well, it was Egypt. So Rahab uh, is, I believe, Egypt. Um, it also must be noted that Rahab in Isaiah 51.9 is, oh, I already got to that. Um, here's another verse where it could be, uh, is another example where many believe Rahab to be the serpent or devil, but if seen in context can be shown to actually be Egypt at the time of the crossing of the Red Sea. So this one says, and again, this is Job chapter 26, verses 10 through 14. He has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness, the pillars of heaven tremble and are amazed at his rebuke. And again, notice here, he quieted the seas with his power and by his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his breath, the heavens are cleared. His hand has pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are the fringes of his ways and how faint a word we hear of him, but his mighty thunder who can understand. So um, here again, they talk about the, the sea being calmed, being pieced. Um, it's possible that there was a storm at the time of the Red Crossing, because if you read it, uh, he talks about how he sends a mighty wind from the west, and so you know the waters were moving back and forth. But for the Israelites to cross through the Red Sea, it had to be made calm. Um, so again, I do believe here he's in reference to Egypt. It's, I do believe, after reading this and looking at other verses that use Rahab in Egypt, I, I don't know if we've ever talked about when Job was possibly written, but I believe that Job is actually referencing Egypt being destroyed, and so I'm kind of of the opinion that Job was written after Egypt was uh, destroyed, somewhere in that time period. Um, I don't know too much about the written time period of Job. Um, Yes, there is a fleeing serpent, but this is in reference how to how Egypt was trying to flee from the Lord in Exodus chapter 14, verses 24 through 29. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians. And also, uh, the last Bible verse, it mentions, it mentions the pillars of the heavens shaking, but um, 
Notice there was also a pillar of the heavens at the Red Sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of Egypt through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to serve and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the seas so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And I'm not gonna read the rest of it. Um, as a side note, by comparing Egypt, Egypt to a serpent, God is possibly trying to show how pr proud Egypt is fleeing, just like proud Satan. So maybe when Job is comparing when Job is comparing maybe Egypt uh, to a serpent, maybe he's trying to like say, he, see, uh, he's, they're just like uh, the devil that fleed and the, the angels that, like the rebellious angels. Um, so again, I, I just wanted to explore this topic and look at him, show some ideas. Um, in Psalm, <clears throat> in uh, Psalm 89, five through 10, we see this connection of Rahab being a reference to the proud Egypts when being destroyed by the Red Sea. So this, these, now we're going to get to some verses where it's a bit more specific, where I felt like you can really tell, no, this is, Rahab is obviously Egypt. So it says here, The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? A God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is like you? O mighty Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling sea when its waves rise. You still them. You yourself crushed Rahab like one who is slain. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. And the, um, the, the lexicon word here for Rahab is the one that really references to Egypt. And again, notice how he's talking about calming the sea, the storm. So um, again, I believe this is a reference to uh, Egypt. Uh, also next in Psalm 87, we see Rahab in reference to a country or nation of people. Uh, and again, the lexicon describes it here as Egypt. Rahab is especially seen as its own separate country in this verse because David is prophesying how Gentiles and people from other countries will all be uni united and born in Christ. It says, his foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This one was born there. But of Zion it shall be this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself will establish her. I'm just going to go ahead and stop there. So in order for this verse to really make sense, we have to, it has to be understood that these are all people from different nations. They're Gentiles. They're not Hebrew people. But David is prophesying that all these people from all these other nations are going to become one in Christ. So in order for that, I guess you would say prophecy to really make sense, um, that means Rahab is not a devil, but but a country because he mentions other countries in there. And so I think in this verse, Rahab means Egypt. Um, and 
Uh, we also see Egypt specifically connected with the word Rahab in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 6 through 9. The oracle concerning the beast of Negev, and that means, uh, Negev means the land of the south, and so Egypt is near the land of the south of Israel. Through a land of distress and anguish, from where come lioness and lion, and viper and flying serpent, they carry their riches on the backs of young donkeys and their treasures on camel's humps to a people who cannot profit them. Even Egypt, whose help is vain and empty, Therefore, I have called her Rahab, who has been exterminated. Now go, write it on a tablet before them, and describe it on a scroll that it may serve in time to come as a witness forever. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. Um, at the time of Isaiah 30, the Israel are taking heaps of treasure to Egypt to ask for Egypt's help in dealing with their troubles instead of turning to God. Here, by calling Egypt Rahab, God is reminding Israel that Egypt is a people who act proud and boastful and, and where they might be seen as powerful at the time. And at the time, they, when they kept the Jewish people in slavery, they were especially seen as powerful, but God's trying to, uh, or specifically Isaiah is trying to remind them, hey, I'm gonna call them Rahab because remember, back when you guys were uh, slaves and you guys were crossing the Red Sea, you thought they were so powerful, but there was nothing to them. Um, we see one example of how Israel turned to assistance, uh, turned to assistance to Egypt instead of turning to God, and that's in 2 Kings uh, 17 verses one through six. Um, and I'm just gonna go straight to uh, verse four on this one. Actually, I'll go to verse 3. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea, he's the king at the time, uh, became his servant and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hoshea, who had sent messengers to So, that's the pharaoh of Egypt at the time, king of Egypt, and had offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. So the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded the whole land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and carried Israel away into exile to Assyria and settled them in Hala and Habar on the river of Gozen in the city of Medes. We see that Hoshea thought by giving tribute to Egypt, Egypt would come to their aid, uh, but they never did. In fact, later on in the next chapter, when Hezekiah is now king, uh, and he is besieged by the Assyrian king Sennacherib, a messenger for the Assyrian army reminds Israel, like Isaiah is doing by calling, uh, titling uh, Egypt Rahab, that Egypt is a proud boasting people that is empty of any assistance. And it says, then Rabbishakah said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What is this confidence that you have? You say, but they are only empty words, I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Now behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all rely on him. Now, to be also say later on, he goes and mocks God and says, you can't rely on God either. But I just thought it was interesting here that even Assyria is like, 
bro, dude, you cannot rely on Egypt. They're no help. Everyone knows that. So, um, and God knew that, which is why I think he titles them Rahab, like empty proudness boasting. Uh, so what does this mean? Um, well, kind of like, I like what, I really appreciate how Dylan read uh, the scripture reading off of his uh, translation. Uh, I think we just kind of need to be careful. Um, again, the Hebrew word that we see in the passages is Rahab, and many people will take that and turn it to either proud ones. Sometimes you'll see proud ones, and then others it'll say proud ones, but then it'll also say, or, or possibly Egypt. Um, Rahab does mean proud or boaster, and it does become the official title of the proud Egypt that rejects God. I think that's something we can take away from this. While the giants of men, tyrannical rulers, and builders of Babel were both proud people and nations that were brought down by God, we do not see the word Rahab used in their descriptions. Does Rahab mean devil? We should take note that Egypt is described as a pierced dragon in Isaiah 51.9 and a fleeing serpent in Job chapter 26, verse 13. Also in Jude chapter 1, verse 6, the writer categorizes Egypt, the rebellious uh, Egypt, the rebellious angels, and Sodom and Gomorrah as a mighty proud people who were punished by God. So God uh, lumps Egypt, the fallen angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, all in kind of one category in Jude chapter 1. Um, so it's kind of like when we talk about Babylon, yes, you have the city of Babylon, but then you get to Revelation, and Babylon's now a type or an anti-type, which is now representative of something else. Um, it's just something to be just something to think about. I do think it requires more study. Um, so what can we learn from this, uh, from the study of Rahab or Egypt from these passages? Um, so as I'm reading through this, yeah, it means proud, but every time the word Rahab is used, it's showing that even the proud are broken and will recognize the power of God and fear him, such as the Egyptians when trying to flee God in the Red Sea. Um, another thing we can learn from this is that in times of distress, the Israelites would see the only option of salvation would be turning to a powerful people like Egypt instead of to God. How does this apply to us? Um, just like how the Israelites were brought out of Egypt and redeemed by passing through the Red Sea to Zion, as Christians, we are passed through the waters of baptism to escape a worldly proud life that rejects God, Egypt. This connection is made in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they lay low in the wilderness. Uh, and there's other Bible verses that talks about how just how the Israelites were, bab uh, were baptized in the Red Sea to become his people. Um, we too must be baptized to, be, uh, to escape the world, the captivity and slavery of the world, and, and to be able to uh, reach Zion. And as Christians, we, may, we must not seek the worldly ways or turn, or turn to solutions offered by the world, but instead turn to God for our comfort and for our answers. In your times of distress, your grief, your sin, you may turn to the world for answers, but truly only comfort and salvation lies with God. I hope this, I hope this was some benefit to you. 
there's about eight passages that use the word Rahab. And just also be aware that more modern day translations will no longer use the word Rahab. They'll go straight to using proud or what they feel is the best translation to use at that time. Um, and again, it does, it does, I guess you would say, bear more, more study. Um, but again, um, at this time, if there's any that would wish to come forward to give up, to give up um, their life of slavery, to leave a, a proud world that feels they do not need to rely on God, then come forward now as we stand and sing. <laughs>